I think if you've got such a, um, a clean, lovely product like we're producing with the Pure Berkshire, you don't want to do too much to it. You just want to enjoy the flavour that you've got there from the, the, you know, the juicy marbled meat. Um, so that's why oftentimes we'll have really nice roast pork with like lots of crackle and some pretty simple roast veggies with it. For me, it's all about crackle when you're having pork. <laughs> This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The Huon Valley is one of Tasmania's most picturesque regions and famous for apples and cherries. But it's fast becoming famous for incredible free-range Berkshire pork, fed a vegetarian diet that includes the best fruits of the valley. For Mimosa Park pig farmer Lillian Reardon, the lifestyle, genetics, and diet of these incredible pigs is producing an outstanding, top-of-class fresh pork. Well, Lillian, the Huon Valley is a stunning region of Tasmania. What makes it so special for farming pigs? Um, I guess it would be it's a beautiful temperate um, climate and it has, uh, we're quite close to the, uh, like it's on the Huon River and so it's an estuary um, and it's just really um, pretty mild summers, beautiful autumns and springs and relatively mild winters in the scheme of it as well. Um, where we're situated, our actual farm, we don't really get very many frosts because we're on a bit of a ridge, so it's often got a breeze here. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it really is really temperate. Like um, I'm originally from Canberra and I don't wear a coat very often down here until it's totally the depth of winter. Um, so people always say, oh, it's so cold in Tasmania, but honestly it's not unless you're going up into the, the higher altitudes where it snows. Um, having said that, we do get um, – so around us you can see all the Hearts Mountain Ranges. So we do get snow on those um, so you can see all the snow caps and you do get a bit of a cold breeze off it, but really it is pretty mild most of the time. Like year-round it's fairly mild, yeah. Well, it sounds beautiful. How does that benefit uh, the pigs? What, what sort of environment does it create for them that's beneficial for them? Um, well, I think they enjoy the view from our property. <laughs> so <laughs> our property is up on a, um, on, like I said, on a bit of a ridge. So we're on a hill and we overlook um, the Huon River and we look back up towards Franklin. Um, so it is very pretty. It's um, right directly in front of us is a section called California Bay, which is um, quite spectacular, and there's a uh, this sort of um, marshy wetland called Egg Islands, which you can see out there, and it's um, it's it's really beautiful. But I think for the pigs, environmentally, um, it's uh, so you know it's a free range farm. We've got beautiful lush pastures uh, pretty much all year round, except in uh, sort of January to February, it dries off a fair bit. Um, but so it's the temperate environment and the beauty of the place does contribute to that. Um, our farm's also got a fair bit of um, natural woodland around it, so it's relatively sheltered um, from all the harsh sort of elements as well. Um, and in addition to that, we provide shelter for all of the pigs as well, so um, they don't go without. They've always got a, a warm heart. Um, but, yeah, it is, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's known for the apples and the cherries, um, so it's got a really um, 
a strong agricultural area in that sense, um, but not necessarily for livestock production. Um, but um, it is just um, the, the temperature, I think, is what's ideal for pigs. I think the ideal temperature for pigs is like 16 to 17 degrees, and it's sort of like that would be our average temperature on a spring day. Um, in winter, it drops down more to like 12 or 14 for the average, you know, but um, it's just that ideal, not too hot, not too cold. Well, you've got certified free-range Berkshire um pigs on the farm tell us about that breed and why that's the breed that you've chosen um so we did a lot um before we got into pigs we did a lot of research about which breeds would be um suited to it uh and you know being outside they need to you know white pigs can get sunburnt and um and then some of the more commercial uh you know f1 breeds that they use in big piggeries are um, don't do as well in a large setting like at our outdoor paddocks. Um, and then there was also an element of um, uh, our preference. So we really thought um, Berkshire pigs were attractive and very pretty. Um, like they have quite a, they have a lovely dished face and um, alert. They're very alert with their pricked ears and a lot of personality. So there was personal preference that that's what we liked. And then just they're so suited to it because they're such doers and um, they they uh, like a traditional um, fresh pork breed. So they mature quite early. That's what we were looking for. We wanted to go into but we don't we didn't we wanted to go straight into um, fresh pork. Um, so that was part of it as well. And then I think really just the amount of research. So Damien, um, Damien and I both. Um, we don't sort of jump into anything quickly. So we did, it was a lot of research um, and speaking to a lot of um, different uh, pig breeders around Australia. And once we'd um, narrowed it down to the breed, we spoke to a lot of Berkshire breeders and um, yeah, that that's kind of how we set upon it. I mean, Damien, uh, he, he's grown up on a farm and they always had like a backyard pig, you know, for their own home consumption. And I think he's they had Berkshires a few times, so that so he also had a little bit of um, background, like wanting them that way. Yeah. You mentioned the research involved before deciding what sort of breed you wanted to um, grow on the farm, but why did you become pig farmers? Um, well, um, like I mentioned before, Damien comes from a farming background, so his family's in the area, and they um, they have a mixed farm um, of apple apple orchard, cherry orchard, and um, cattle. Um, so it's always been something that we've wanted to do to have our own farm, and so um, we purchased some land from his parents way back in two thousand and ten, and um, when we we're trying to work out what we could do to start our own sort of farm we only bought a small amount of land so it sort of made sense to do pigs because you can not have a very large area but do something quite intensive like pigs and um, hopefully make a bit of living off it what's what's been some of the challenges involved in um in pig farming and has has it the experience surprised you i mean there's challenges just day-to-day challenges like um making sure that pigs are warm if it's raining a lot or I guess, yeah, there have been actually, yes, there have been challenges um, because it's a free range system. Um, it, we're totally at the mercy of the elements and there's plenty of things that you cannot control. Um, so for instance, I don't know, you would have heard um, in the news a couple of years back, there were the really bad bushfires in the Huon Valley. Um, so 
that impacted us pretty badly because right where our farm is, we just got blanketed in smoke for weeks on end. And so it was a real um, challenge for us to keep, um, like we couldn't control the air quality and, you know, everyone is told to not go outside as humans, but we couldn't take our pigs away from being outside. Um, so that was like, that was like a challenge that was totally out of our control um, and to just try and, you know, couldn't limit their exposure to the smoke because it was covering our entire farm. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely been challenges. Um, mostly they're challenges that, like I said with that, that are not in our control and that we can't do anything about. We just have to kind of manage and sort of go through them. Um, there's also just challenges like day-to-day, like um, – the weather doesn't do what you want, like it's super hot when you don't think it's going to be hot or, um, I mean, working with animals is always a challenge because sometimes they don't want to do what you want them to do. They don't want to go where you want them to go. <laughs> it's like that, you know, don't work with animals and small children. Um, you know, sometimes they can not feel like doing something. Uh, they don't want to walk down a particular lane you want them to go to or they have um, – they don't want to stay in the paddock you've put them in, even though that's the best place for them. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything specific. Um, probably mostly that the worst one we had it was the challenge of the bushfire smoke. But otherwise it's been fairly smooth sailing in a sense that if you just have the time and patience, you can make anything work, if you know what I mean. Can you tell us about uh, what it takes to be certified uh, free-range pork in Australia and the, and the levels that you guys have to operate to maintain that? Yeah, so there's a um, there's a, a suite of um, standards that we have to maintain. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it is quite involved, but at the same time, it, it should be what you're doing anyway. So there's like, it's like a, essentially like a checklist that you have to go through um, in all different areas of um, your farm. So even down to uh, your biosecurity of who comes on your farm and what comes onto your property. Um, And then there's also uh, what you, what you like, you know, all the inputs you put into your pigs. So the feed, if you give them medications or not, or vaccinations, um, their, their water, their housing, what the paddocks look like. Um, so the system that we're through is this um, APIC, the Australian Pig Industry Quality Assurance. And so that covers people. Um, you could be a big piggery, commercial piggery in that, or you could be a free-range one. So according to what type of system you're running, you've got different a different set of um, requirements you need to meet. And um, so we get third-party audited, so it's totally um, – separate to Australian pork, uh, a separate person comes in from Ausmeat and audits us and they do, it's like really, um, a really thorough checking of every single thing you do, all the records, you, you have to keep records for literally everything you do with your animals um, and with your farm. Like even if we build a new um, paddock, some new fencing, we have to do a checklist to make sure that we haven't left any tools or um, you know, bits of wire in the paddocks that could be a hazard for the pigs. Um, so it, it is really thorough. Um, but I think we think it's really important because, um, you know, not every farm's open to the public. They're operating farms. But it gives um, the consumer a really good sense of um, that we are meeting some stand- – we are meeting really high standards. Um, and although you can't come and visit us, 
uh, an auditor has come and visited us and said that we are meeting all of these standards and, um, well, in most cases we actually exceed them um, to provide the best, um, the highest welfare and the um, – that you can be confident that what we're saying we're doing is what we're, we're going above and beyond, even though you can't necessarily visit the farm and see the pigs yourself. Yeah. The region is known for apples and cherries. Do your pigs get a chance to enjoy those and, and what makes up their feed? Yeah, so our pigs, so um, we're very lucky that um, Damien's family do have orchards, so our pigs get a lot of apples, um, especially in the apple season, which can which starts from February and goes right through till sort of um, May. Um, so they get the apples through that season. We get um, whatever apples aren't picked for commercial market, we pick for the pigs and they get um, – you know, as, as much of that as they like, as much as they can eat. Um, but in naturally that's not going to sustain them. So we also have a uh, specially formulated by animal nutritionists, um, a, a pig pellet, a pelleted feed that is designed especially for our pigs on our farm in our circumstances. So, um, wow. yeah, so a lot of um, places have like, you know, different pellets for lactating sows or different pellets for the growers. So ours is one that's specially designed. It goes across our whole herd because we're only small. It would be um, pretty difficult to have, you know, storage for all different types of pellets. Um, so we have it. It's formulated for our pigs. It's completely vegetarian. Uh, we didn't want any um, blood meal or meat meal or fish meal added to their diet. Um, because uh, we're firm believers that that does impact the flavour profile because uh, it could, um, you know, permeate into the the fat and even just the, the meat itself. Um, like I don't know about you, but I always find you can taste if um, eggs have – the poultry that lay eggs have eaten fish meal in their pellets. You can always taste a little bit of a fishy taste in the yolk. Um, so we were kind of acutely aware of that and didn't want it, although – I know people, if you use um, meat meals in your food, naturally it makes the pigs um, uh, grow quicker because it's, a, you know, a very um, efficient protein. But uh, that was something we were adamant against. And none of our feeds ever have any um, antibiotics or additives in them. Um, I think that's a little bit of a misconception that some people think that if you're using a formulated feed, it's going to have antibiotics in it. Um, unless you've got a lot of money, you can't afford stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything costs money, but um, but I mean, for the um the principle of it, we don't use anything like that in our feed. There's you know, our children actually sit there eating the food. Um, <laughs> it's really um, <laughs> they're sitting on the back of the ATV, shoving um, handfuls of these pig pellets in their mouth. Um, I actually have tasted it myself as well because I wondered why my kids keep eating. Wow. It. Um, it just tastes like sort of like all brand. It tastes, that's the closest thing I could work out that it tasted like, um, just like gritty all brand. Um, but, yeah, so that's the, the feed that our pigs eat. And so um, they have a ration of that. And, and like I said, for that apple season that we can get it from February through to May, they get ad lib as many apples as we can pick them from the family orchard. Um, it's funny the pigs so there's a variety of apples on the um, orchard and 
So there's some varieties through the orchard that are pollinator ones that don't necessarily get picked commercially, but they're there because it helps pollinate the commercial ones. And um, so some of those are like your Granny Smiths or Golden Delicious. And then there's some um, other varieties like older ones that are like, I think they're traditionally cooking and, and cider varieties like Sturmers and Gravensteins. And um, the pigs have preferences for the types of apples. Um, so when we put out, you know, they don't really like Granny Smiths because often we'll pick those because they're not going to be picked commercially. Damien and I and the kids will go and pick those for the pigs, but they're probably not super ripe. So you know how Granny Smith can be kind of tart. You see the pigs look at them a bit like, oh, they've brought these ones over <laughs> for us. Oh, um, well, then when we get the Sturmers, which is I think it's a cooking apple and more a cider apple, I think, um, they're quite tart. So they sort of take a few bites of them excitedly and then they stop and look at you like, oh, this isn't like the ones we had the other day. Um, so their favourite apples are the really sweet galas or golden delicious. Which, so it's, it's kind of it's funny when you're feeding them and you can see them look at you like, oh, thanks, that's not what I was expecting um yeah what's life like for the pigs on the farm what sort of environment do you give them to to grow in um I think I mean I would describe it as pretty idyllic if I was a um if I was a pig I'd, I'd like to live here um so they're um we have large paddocks they're all group housed because they're social animals so they need to be you know around other pigs and they have um, – so we have areas where there's like um, – on the hill we have like dry sour paddocks. So that's where sows that are, don't have a litter on them and are not pregnant, they go in, they live in the group house. So it's sort of really big paddock um, to one side of our property. And it has nice huts in there that we're always keeping warm for them with fresh hay. And um, it's got little bits of um, – oh, so it's on a hill and there's little um, – different little bits of scrubby bush and then there's pasture so it's kind of like got a variety um so they can choose to walk freely around in like they're really large i'm not sure i think there are a few acres like that one's probably uh it's probably about six acres actually that's like a big paddock for them to go into um and then and then they have individual um maternity paddocks where the sows can go individually um, and to, they've got their own hut for when they're going to give birth or farrow. And then all the growers, they have these um, big um, open um, paddocks with huts in them with fresh hay and, you know, in the summertime they have wallows that we um, they help make. We, we Damien sometimes starts to dig a little bit for them and then they continue. Um, and so they've got wallows and as part of our certification, we have to maintain um, a minimum of 60% pasture cover at all times. Um, so that means that they're not on bare dirt. It's on um, nice pasture, um, which they they graze freely as much as they want. Um, and they can, they can just run around, enjoy themselves, um, you know. Oftentimes I'll be driving home from school pickup um, and I'll see you know, some pigs laying out super flat, just laying in the sun, sun baking. But oftentimes you stop the car and just double check because they're lying so still. I think, oh, my God, there's something wrong with the pig, but they're not. They're just like enjoying the sun so much lying out. And it is, you know, like beautiful autumn days like we're getting down here now. They just love laying, lazing about in the sun. Um, and then the young ones, the growers, oftentimes are more running around or, you know, they'll pick up a big clump of um, – grass or hay and throw it around and play with each other 
because um, sometimes they behave sort of like a little dog or something, the growers, like quite playful, running around a lot. Um, there was one time uh, the kids had a whole lot of new little, um, you know, those little spiky balls you can get at Big W for kids. They're not a basketball but not a beach ball. It's just a little bouncy ball. We had a few extra ones of those and the, the kids were out with us and they um, threw a couple into the grower paddocks for the pigs to play with while we were standing there and the, the growers just went absolutely crazy running around just, um, you know, investigating this ball with their snouts um, for about 10 minutes until one of them bit it and it popped. So we went in and took them <laughs> took it away. But, like, they, they're they very inquisitive, running around playing. Um, and then so we've got a whole lot of the farrowing paddocks where the, the sows are and they have little piglets that once they get to about five or six weeks, they become really cheeky and really adventurous and they sort of roam around freely. So it's only a little hot wire in between the um, – the sow's paddocks, just one individual electric wire. And so, but the little piglets can go underneath it. So they're freely roaming around, um, going and checking out and meeting up with other little piglets, like on little adventures to, um, uh, you know, running, just generally causing mischief really. Um, and they sort of get around in a big posse. And then when we turn up to check on them or do a feed or something, they all sort of bark at each other and run back to their mothers like, oh, they're here. Oh, gosh, we should be out. Quick, everyone back to your paddock. Um, that, that's just the little guys. But it's, they're, they're very, very um, happy, lovable little animals, sort of the little piglets and then the growers. Like They're just sort of really mischievous. I don't know if that's just the Berkshires because they do have the pricked ears and they're um, – they just look cheeky all the time running around checking what they can get into. <laughs> what impact does this amazing lifestyle and uh, unique diet have uh, on the pig's eating quality? Um, I think the eating quality, I think it's a combination of things, the eating quality. I think it comes down to the lifestyle and environment definitely as well as the diet and the genetics. Um, so, uh, we've been pretty um, pretty selective in our breeding with the genetics of our pigs, and we only so we're to, like we're totally pure Berkshire, and the genetics can be traced back through the original um, breeders that we've bought them from. Like it goes back like thirty five years, the lineage of our pigs. Um, not from us, not from us specifically, but from where we bought them from. So we've had them for like eleven years now. But the genetics we've got are really um, quite special and they are really, really pure Berkshire. Um, so I think that does play a role in the eating quality um, because Damien's also been really, really, um, yeah, some people might call it OCD. <laughs> He's been really pedantic about uh, and really strict about what we keep and select as breeders. And so he's constantly um, breeding our our pigs to improve their carcass and eating quality. So he's always looking for a long carcass. He's trying to get good ham, like looking for good chunky hams, really big shoulders, a nice even fat coverage. Um, you know, he wants a really big boned, walking correctly, structurally sound pig. So they look like, you know, they look impressive when they're growing as porkers because they're these, like, they're just like little muscle balls. Um, and then they've also, so we're also breeding for the, um, you know, laying down intramuscular marbling fairly early on so it doesn't go into 
um, subcutaneous fat. Um, so it's like a true prime porker. Um, that's what he's really been striving to grow. And, you know, we started with excellent, you know, the best in Australia genetics, and he's just sort of built on that continually. Um, so, like, overall, you know, the health and the soundness of the animal it, um, helps it to grow and build even consistently muscled, you know, so that's that's part of what makes a good eating quality animal, um, we believe. And so that's what we've selectively bred for. So then com- combining that with the wonderful vegetarian diet of the the pellets we have formulated, the ad lib apples whenever they want, and then they've got the beautiful environment and lifestyle where, you know, um, they don't have to. They don't have any stresses on them. So we've tried to take out every stress they could possibly have, so they can spend their entire time running around, being happy, building muscle, and growing like a really excellent um, eating animal. Um, that, that's what we've tried to do. They can just be relaxed and grow beautiful meat. Well, as farmers of pigs, do you eat your own uh, pork? And is who's the cook in the house? Is there a family signature pork dish? Yeah, so we do eat um, we do eat pork, a lot of pork. Um, <laughs> I think there's meat, we use pork um, <laughs> for everything. Um, I'll probably I'm the primary cook. Um, I guess like our, like a signature dish we would do at home that is probably just the best thing is like like a classic roast pork with like extra crackle. Um, that's we kind of. I mean, with the Berkshire, I think if you've got such a um, a clean, lovely product like we're producing with the pure Berkshire, you don't want to do too much to it. You just want to enjoy the flavour that you've got there from the the you know the juicy marbled meat. Um, so that's why oftentimes we'll have just a, it's a really nice roast pork with like lots of crackle and some pretty simple roast veggies with it. Um, it would probably be our favourite thing, and it's the crackle, isn't it? It's all uh, well for me. It's all about crackle when you're having pork. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, is can you tell us about some uh, chefs or restaurants that are using your product and the ways that you've seen it uh, appear on menus? Yeah. So. Um, down here in Tassie, we've um, there's quite a lot of really excellent chefs that are really great at championing um, local produce. Um, so I had we've had um, Jeff Workman in at Peacock and Jones is one of those people. He seems to make amazing things with the he has our he's had our pork on his menu for quite a long time now, and um, he does some really they're really sort of beautiful, elegant dishes. Um, he does a great one with pork chops and uh, he's done the pork neck a few times and also a porchetta. Um, but he does really beautiful things that are quite simple but and really um, show off the produce, which is really lovely. Um, another one was when Annalise Gregory had Franklin, she um, had our pork in there a lot and she did some really nice things with the pork neck and she also made this absolutely amazing copper with our pork, which was like oh, I went in there to um, have a meal with a friend one night and I, I couldn't stop eating it. I wanted to ask for more of that. It was just amazing. It was amazing. Um, so, yeah, they're kind of two ones that are stand out for, for us, uh, um, Jeff Workerman in at Peacock and Jones and what he does with our pork. And um, that was just amazing. And, yeah, and Annalise's, um, the pork neck and the copper that she made was just, oh, it was just so delicious. What is it that you love about uh, pig farming? 
Um, I guess in some ways we love. I really love that um, Damien and I can work together and be outside, and it does afford us a lifestyle to spend a lot of time with our kids. And um, because pigs are, you know, they're pretty dope. Like when they're treated really well, like ours are, they're really docile, lovely animal. So it's safe for the kids to come around and do all the work with us. Um, and so as a family, we do a lot of things together like that. Um, and, you know, like the kids are all always coming out, helping, moving some of the sows and, which is pretty, it's pretty funny to see, you know, our eldest boy's just about to turn eight. So, but he's, so he's not quite, you know, he's not very large for a child. And, um, the sows are pretty big when you get up close to them, but they're just so gentle and beautiful. They, you know, he can tell them to walk on and they move down to the lane where they're going to go. Um, so I really, I do love the amount of time we get to spend outside with our family. Um, you know, sort of, it's kind of not the simpler things, but it sort of is the simpler things um, that you can just, you know, just be enjoying each other's company while you're um, doing these things with moving the animals or feeding them or watering them or checking that it's not too hot for them and filling up wallows. It, it is, it's kind of like those simple things you're doing like that are fun with your kids. And it's and it's handy that Damien and I um, work well together as a team, as a husband and wife. Um, you mentioned the a classic roast pork with extra crackling, which I concur with. There's never enough crackling um, whenever I cook pork in this house. But we've always asked uh, chefs what their tips are for getting the best crackling. Uh, what, what, what do you do to get the best crackling on your roast? Um, I follow what my mum taught me, um, and that would be I um, – so you have it uh, um, just it's um, – so Damien – will normally score the skin with a really sharp knife. He's um he's a pretty adept at growing up on a farm doing all the, you know, processing ourselves. So but if you don't have it like that, your butcher will um score it for you. And then I just um if it's been stored in, you know, can in a plastic or a cryovac or anything for a while, I just pat it dry with a paper towel and then put some salt on it and a little bit of olive oil. And then I guess I put it in the oven for at quite a hot temperature for the first half an hour to get the crackle started. And then after that, I turn it down and um, then just cook the rest of the pork the, the correct way. But I think it's, for me, that's what I do, half an hour at a really, like, extremely high temperature. It doesn't burn it. It just makes the crackle and then um, then cook the, the roast um, just back down at your regular roasting temperature. And that seems, that works for me. That's how I get the crackle every time. Yeah. Well, it sounds amazing, and it's been incredible to hear uh, the story of what you guys are doing at Mimosa Park. Um, we've loved having you on The Crackling. Um, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll love to catch up with you again soon. Oh, thanks for having me, and thanks for chatting. That's been great. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstart. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.